Herald of Steel beckons. War on the horizon. Chaos reigns supreme. But who will save us? Beckons of the Herald of Steel is a 5th edition homebrew campaign. It is a high fantasy and old school flavored campaign run by me, the young Rognard, and my friends. Let's meet those friends now. I am Anthony Santiago, and I'm playing Norhill Hammerstone, Dwarven Fighter. I'm Jared, and I'll be playing Jarzak, the Orc Warlock. I'm Ryan, and I'm going to be playing Klika, the Goblin Sorcerer. I'm Veronica. I'll be playing Anton, the Human Cleric. While many prophecies are written, our story has yet to be completed. Follow us into adventure. Not a lover. Welcome back us. to another episode of the podcast. It is I, Grognard, the young, young Grognard. Kicking it to you with the Beckons of the Herald of Steel campaign with the newest adventure. Oops, all elves. What? Oops, all elves. The newest adventure in the series. It's not oops, all elves. Anyway, the newest adventure is known as the Lords uh, with our first quest, Salvation. Uh, We last left off with our party in the hall, or at least I guess in the court of the Chaseer. Uh, about to speak with the Elven Council about what they had done, what they had seen, and looking to get some information on certain strange gates to the land of immortals, or whatever the hell that was about. Um, the party are still all elves. Jarzak found a freaking spooky glove, and Anton found a tootie hoot toot. And yeah, so I guess the party are greeted by the elves in a very strange way, as they seem to be a bit perturbed by you guys coming in an elvish look, but they seem to be pretty able to tell that you guys are who you are. And once you announce yourselves with a resounding, I'm Plika, it's very well known who the party is. Um, so at this point, the Shaysiers say uh, they are very grateful for all that you've done and having slain Shaythantil. And they say that the stars will weep with his passing, but having brought back a sense of peace to him and his wife is more valuable than, I guess, you know, the dishonor of having done it. Um, but with that, they explain that the curse of the wild was brought on by a insatiable desire to keep his wife alive. Apparently she had been cursed in some way with some sort of a strange disease that nobody really knows much about. And it seems like a strange thing where perhaps she was up to no good. Nobody ever wanted to accuse her of it, but basically his wife um, had come down with an illness that was slowly racking her body and taking her far and farther away from her actual like conscious form. And so the king at the time, sort of left his position, I guess you could say, in a way that didn't feel like anybody would judge him or treat him like he was like some treacherous guy or anything like that. But unfortunately, he used the power of the Elven Court here to open up one of these portals that they wanted to tell you guys about. And the portal was opened up through true trees and immortal trees out here in the forest uh, using this sort of portal he had gone to this other plane of existence uh and so just to kind of 
personify a bit more of this conversation. The elven woman on the council who had done much of the talking the first time through says, these portals are not easy to control and these portals are not easy to gain way through. He used powerful magics and nearly damned his own soul for having done it. But he had found a way to enter the land of immortals in the lands of twilight beyond. The land of immortals is a strange place that acts as sort of an in-between between the material realm and all that exists beyond. It itself is inhabited by what they, I guess the elves would probably describe as being like the eternal elves, basically the Eldrin, but they're like the immortal Eldrin. Um, and basically says that this land is full of materials that don't die, full of things that can't age and like, you know, like trees live, but they don't rot and die there. As well as like metals never tarnish and rust. Nothing seems to move, yet everything continues forward. It's a very strange, strange place. But it would seem that the king, Mr. Thantiel there, had gone through and stolen a the heart, the uh, eternal heart from a tree. And he brought it back, hoping somehow to keep her form alive and keep her with her, her spirit, with her body. But the best that they can guess from what you guys have told them and everything that was, you know, given to them about the uh, where Puma, Puma man, uh, was that, or the wire line, I guess, whatever you want to call it, kitty cat man with a bunch of heads. Um, it would seem that the curse of the wild was brought on by a body attempting to accept immortality in such a weird way. And thus the magics of the immortals is very different than the magic of the material realm and where you guys are. And so I guess now comes the point where everybody is sort of sitting here thinking to themselves, okay, so that's how those immortal gates work. So what the fuck did we see in the mountain in Boltzcrag Peak when we saw that strange metallic gate? So if you guys would like to ask further questions, this is when they mentioned something along the lines of things that come out of the immortal gates don't usually belong in this place. And for that reason, they either bring great peace or great pain. And this kind of brings the resounding Herald of Steel talk to the table. So if somebody would like to chime in on that point, by all means. So uh, this gate at the root of the mountain, that likely leads to the land of immortals. And what it's made of is immortal metal. And so with that, they say... If there is such a being known to you all as the Herald of Steel, it is likely the case that if it brings pain to this realm, the immortals have already damned the way gate. And for us to be able to get back through that gate would be a recipe for disaster. Having known what came from their end through, they've probably already closed the gate off. Either that or led the portal to somewhere that those trying to get through would be punished. So, yeah. didn't seem that way to Klika when she saw it. It seemed to still be active, and the presence coming from it wasn't threatening. It was welcoming. And so with that, you guys hear a voice boom from the corner of the chamber as the queen herself seems to walk in, and she comes gracefully so, and she says, 
And this, Klika, is because you are different. There is something about you that pulls everyone towards you. You are a child of destiny. The stars smile upon you. Approaching one of these immortal gates, a gateway to the land of immortals, it speaks to you because it is you. You are one with the stars, and you are one that belong to the immortals. You are not like everyone else here. We, the elves who spend our time worshiping the stars, can come close to that sensation of oneness with all that is beyond. But you are naturally in tune with such a thing. There's something to be said about constellations and power signs, people being born under certain stars and how that impacts their living. But you were born purely under one star, a powerful star, and one that holds you in between this realm and theirs. And she takes a few more steps towards the center of the chamber, standing before the Shaysir and standing before you guys. And she says, I have learned much from being in your presence. And as one who reads the stars, I can tell you much about what you have seen in all of you. And she looks amongst every member of the party, still elvish, by the way, which is just like in a video game when you alter your skin and in cutscenes, it still pops up that way. And you just giggle to yourself like an idiot because of it. So basically you're all just standing there like a bunch of elves and they're like, yeah, you know, you half-orc dwarf human and goblin. <laughs> just all uniformly heighted elves. But with that, she says, from what I can tell, each and every one of you must be linked to Klika. There is a reason why fate has smiled upon all of you and has brought you here to me, one of the only people of this area, this realm, that could, I guess, know such a thing about the stars. And for me to be able to tell you all how you're all connected, I may have done something terrible. She says, but something pulls me to this honesty. And I believe you all deserve to know that you are all bound by the child of destiny. Whatever it is, is your quest at this point, pursue it. You must continue. The stars and fate are pulling you in a direction. And she kind of turns up to the council and she says, if they speak of the Herald of Steel, then perhaps they have business with this. Perhaps they turn back to Klika and looks over at her and says, perhaps she was summoned to our plane of existence as some sort of a safety measure. Perhaps something to combat this being, perhaps, and turns back and looks up at them and says, but if that is the case, perhaps it is too late for most of us. And she turns back to you guys and the Shaysir kind of like, regretfully so, begin to speak up again under the queen's duress and say, if it is the case that you were summoned from the land of immortals to do such a task, it may indeed be too late. The immortals do not care for our well-being in a way that makes a lot of sense to us. To put it simply, they are beyond us. They are closer to the stars, and they don't understand our sense of living. They may have sent Klika to do great things, or the queen steps in and says, she may bring about ruin in her own right and cleanse the land of such a scourge. And everybody all of a sudden looks over at Klika and gives her kind of a look as if like this unassuming elven lady just being like, I'm Klika, may be the most volatile being in history, or at least the well-known history of this time. 
And with that, she says, but I see great promise and honesty in her. If it is the case that she is to do great things, she will surpass anything anybody knows. With her dedication and her pursuit of greatness, I am certain she will do amazing things. But she already has. And so with that, they, the queen turns to you and gives you a look that I would say is cold as ice. It cuts like diamonds and it's cold as ice. And she says, perhaps in the lifespan of a human, it looks like she has done much. But to have all of our societies and all of our history be brought to dust, ash, and ruin, did it matter who she slayed in this life? Did it matter who she made friends with? In the grand scheme of time and space, these things are nothing. Klika, if you are to turn this around and you are to fix things, it will be through great moves. And I do not say this in a way to startle you. For again, you are a lone star and all others around you are connected through constellation. Everyone knows you to some extent. And she says, and this is why I was drawn to you. This is why they were drawn to you. I'm sure in your lifetime, you've met many who were drawn to you in strange ways because they too were born under signs that connect to you. Klika, you are one with the universe in a way that others cannot be so. You are bound to all and all are bound to you. You are a child of destiny. Oh. <laughs> Boo. <laughs> I think um, when she sort of, the queen shoots like that withering glare at Anton for speaking up on Klika's behalf, Klika's gonna just grab Anton's hand to be like, yeah, you tell him. <laughs> I'm not hiding behind you. It's fine. And so with that, she says, I'm afraid your business here is at an end. As much as I would love for you all to stay here, you have my word as queen of the elves, of Aesiris, that you all walk through these places as friends of the elves. To each of you, I assign a spirit of a different age of the elves. And if ever you enter here, you will be known as friend. But I think your business is to be found elsewhere. War is on the horizon, and anybody watching the stars knows there are great changes afoot. Your place is not here. We have a long-awaited visit with the dwarves. Too long. Well, now hold on just a minute. I don't think we are done here. You've, uh, you've given us a long talk about destiny and the stars and non-god immortals, but what do we do? And so with that- It sounds like you've just given us an impossible task and told us to be on our merry way. And she says, while I respect and understand the hostility that you feel towards me, I think that your anger is not at me specifically. And I think that your frustrations with this world, you will find that most feel exactly like you, powerless and lost. And the best that we can do is tell you how grave these things are. And so all I can say is fate will pull Klika in the direction she must go. 
she turns to Klika and then she turns back to Norhill, both elves, by the way, uh, and says, if your place is to save the dwarves, then let it be so. If that is where destiny pulls Klika, then let it be so. What I'm saying is so long as her path is true and she follows what comes naturally and makes sense to her, fate will work its way towards what it's meant to do. She is bound by the stars and she will play out the exact fate that she must. But so long as Klika follows her heart, this will happen. As soon as anyone binds her to deals she does not want, as soon as anyone tells her to do things she does not want, she perhaps will damn us all. Klika wants to go help the dwarves. And so with that, all the elves kind of nod almost in unison and say, so let it be so. Um, what will the elves be doing now that yeah. they know that the Herald of Steel is here and that a, the Child of Destiny is in the world? How are you going to prepare your people? And in the most I, I, elvish way possible, the most haughty, like totally beyond everybody else kind of way, she says, we will do what we've always done. We will survive and exist by the elven ways. If the Herald of Steel approaches, we will face him as he approaches us. But unfortunately, our place is not one of action. That Jarzak takes a knee and says, thank you for the information and our safe passage through your woods, my queen. I mean, your majesty. <laughs> and she says, rise, Jarzak. This is not your place to kneel. Again, you are a friend of the elves, and I as queen think of all of you as friends. For having put one of the Shay to rest as a way that you did, you have earned much respect amongst me and my people. The stars shall smile upon you all. That's where the group and I say it's I just give the motion of let's skedaddle. Okay. And so with that, the oh did anybody have anything else? I just thought uh, as we're leaving, uh Jarzak's just gonna turn to Cleek and be like So what I got out of that is we we gotta stick with you, Kleeka. So that's some good news for you, I think. And I will say, Kleeka, having heard this this weird sense you've always had of kinship to people around you and the people around you who you kind of regard as being your little goblin family there, the uh, Karbach, was it? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, this concept makes so much more sense to you when you hear this strange need to be attached to people and that closeness to others. And then you hear how every person you've met from that orc in the woods so long ago from the barrel hopping all the way up to Sirithal these people are just connected to you in a way that binds your fates together. And it almost adds this strange sense of like, are they supposed to stick with me? Or do they even have a choice at this point? If Jarzak were to leave in the morning before everybody, would he not just like get hit by traffic and then we'd all end up in the same place at the same time anyway? You know what I mean? You start to feel this sense as if like, maybe you don't have control over building this friendship. And perhaps everybody's brought together by mutual needs. But that's about it. You know what I mean? 
And so I mean, I guess when, he, when he says, like, I guess we're all sticking together, you have that moment of, like, do I have a choice? <laughs> I mean, I think it sort of plays into also why Klika has always been looking for her Karbok, but just hasn't been able to, like, find what she feels is the definition of that word. Because, like, all of these people are connected to her, but they belong to their own constellations. But Klika's shared among all of them. So she's never truly has her foot in one world, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. or family or group of people that are supposed to be connected because she's, you know, the, uh, what is it? The universal donor, essentially, of <laughs> constellation blood types. <laughs> well, on that somber note, I guess the party are given a lot of gifts by the elves of food and water, as well as safe transport back to the edge of the uh, Falvir wood. I imagine the party's heading back to Glory Wake to tell of the news of the elves and to see how things have gone with the orcs. Yeah, but what, okay, what kind of potion do we drink that we're still elves? Well, in the time that you guys are traveling back, if you are traveling back to Glory Wake, this is the case? Yes, that makes the most sense to me. Yeah. So after about three or so days of traveling out here, one morning you guys wake up at, to at least whoever's on watch falls to a falls to their knees with unbelievable pain as their bones begin to revert to their natural form and everybody else awakens uh, from sleepy dreams to the sensation of their body rejecting itself uh, as you all revert back to your normal forms. Oh, finally. As Lika has to figure out how to walk again. (laughs) She got used to those long legs. (laughs) And so with that, having lost your little elven strides, it's only a few more days after that, after leaving the wood to get back to the city. Um, But once you get back to the city of Glory Wake and you guys smell that sea air and all the fish on the air and whatnot, you guys can tell that the armaments through the woods have been built up as well as all the different scouting posts and positions. And there are like orcish heads on pikes out here. This place has been defended well, and it seems like there has not been a single loss to the people of Glory Wake on the way in. And once you guys actually reach the city proper, the city looks to be in well-functioning order, and people seem to be stressed, but in good enough spirits, as if like riding out the storm in a vessel that can handle it. You know what I'm saying? Jarzai seeing the heads on the spikes is kind of going to throw his hood up and try to keep a low profile. I will say, though, because of you guys, your renown in this city for handing over the the war plans from having destroyed the eyes of failure, being honored by the queen, you guys are well known enough that seeing the bald orc who walks with the goblin, the dwarf, and the human, there's no question as to who you are. And people... The grey dwarf. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, upon entering the city, uh, it seems like you guys could spend some time to sit here and settle or you guys could head on your merry way off to the city and go speak with the queen, see whatever happened with Antonea and Obroth, and perhaps cash in on a certain favor, asking for some assistance with freeing a bunch of dwarves. How did uh, Jarzak's arm handle the sudden shift in his body type and size? It matched his growth as it did. That's good. Could you imagine it was sized for an elf, and he's like, oh, <laughs> fuck. 
there's the bones like coming out because it's still just bone underneath but the gloves just getting smaller and i will say jarzak if you do noodle around with that gauntlet you can pull it off and as you like slowly uncover it the first couple times to like take a peek it is just browned bone under there as if it's been like aged and decayed and chewed on by vermin and bugs uh, <laughs> you're like no 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 <laughs> yeah like Jarsek will go to like when he realizes he can just slide it off he'll go to like do it all, off on his own and just as soon as he sees that he's just like oh, nope Klika's gonna want to try to clean that <laughs> <laughs> Klika has a heart attack and dies campaign over mm. but um <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of funny now. But anyway, yeah, and if you take that off, the bones don't fall out or anything. You basically are an animated skeleton on that hand, and you just have full dexterity and, like, ability to grasp and move things with those fingers. You just lack all the sensation of skin and all that. Um, but is part undead now? <laughs> Look, you leave him to his magic item, okay, Hornblower? No, yeah, I'm just saying, You just cast undead, Turn Undead, I, and we'll see what his arm does. like, not, like... <laughs> The arm runs away, just <laughs> just rips off. <laughs> That's funny. Charizard's like, oh, yeah, I guess it was cursed. <laughs> so with that, the party um, stay in Glory Wake, I imagine, for the time being. Uh, at least for a day's rest. Maybe a day's uh, rest. For a day of rest, yes. But Norhill's going to counsel that we uh, head out to Eagle Heart as soon as possible. Fair enough. I think it will tell some tales to Shereel while we're there, you know, make sure he's in good spirits. Fair enough. Up by the inn, mm-hmm. talk to, um, Frick, what is the ranger's name? Are you talking about Jezorn? Yeah, we'll talk to, hang it. just let Jezorn know what, what happened, that the where people won't be an issue anymore, that kind of stuff. Which so what do we do with the was- 2,000 gold? Oh, yeah. What are you guys going to do with those chests of gold? Kliga would like to convert her 300 silver into gold pieces, if possible. Or yeah, I was going to say, if we could convert the gold into like gems or something, something easier to carry. Um, you guys could do an exchange. Because this is a major city, it's going to be yeah. easier to exchange things over. You could exchange it over to platinum pieces. would probably be the easiest way to go about it. But the exchange rate is going to be about 10%. So if you give them 1,000 gold to get some platinums you're gonna get 90 platinums that's fine okay so how much gold are we looking to transfer over two thousand okay so that you guys get 180 platinum pieces in its place do we need 180 platinum now i also love you guys bringing a couple treasure chests of elven coins like don't ask where we got it give us our platinum and they're like okay and charzak the first national bank of glory wake <laughs> I don't know that's so fucking funny to me. Jarzak will give a hundred and fifty of his silver pieces to Anton to give to the people of Glory Wake. And uh so if we're going yeah. to also distribute that money, each of us gets sixty-five platinum pieces. I give all my sixty-five to the church. Immediately. But, uh, but doesn't I, even get to the church. <laughs> that, that's why I only gave that's why I only gave you silver. I did the exchange. It's my money. <laughs> 
wait, so converting. Okay, wait, hold on. Keeping the money in order. Anthony, you said that there was 65. You're saying that the initial 80, right? And then the initial 80 and then the 180 we got from the money changers. And that's so then if we just divide that equally, okay. that's 65 each. All right. Okay. So then Anton gave over 180, I mean, the uh, 65 platinum and then the 180 silver, was it? Yes. Okay. So you gave all of that to the church? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. All to the orphans. Norhill oh, is also going to try to sell the gemstones. You're trying to salvage what? Sell the gemstones. Oh, okay. Sell the gemstones. Well, yeah, we the could 12, probably do 12, that. 50 gold piece gemstones. We could probably do that in uh, Eagle Heart and get a better price on them. It was just getting rid of like the big two treasure chests. That's fair. Fair. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, and we don't really need the money. Uh, so Klika would convert the 300 silver, would end up being 30 gold, which would end up being three platinum. So what's 10% off of three platinum? Oh, why did you have to do it this way? That's so obnoxious. Well, that so, I 300 silver, so 300 silver would become 270 uh, when you take the 10% off. So that would be 27 gold pieces. So, so you get two platinums and seven gold. Hooray for math. Easy peasy. See, easy. Who doesn't love doing math indeed? And click clicker, you're holding on to your platinum too, then? Yeah. Okay. Wait, I'm gonna use because I have a few gold. I hope you do gonna, I want I need to buy some health potions. Oh. Okay. So if you so guys you those. go to an alchemist. I yeah. will say this much as well. Um, who was going to speak with Jessorn about the the duty with the elves? I mean, Klika will probably let Norhill know she's going to fill him in. She was uh, mostly no, telling no, Shereel. No, 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 just yeah. to yeah, give a hand. Okay, yeah, so she was talking to Shereel just to, like, you know, make sure he was in good spirits because Shereel likes to hear about our stories and stuff. But then, like, Jezorn was more of, like, Klika sees him as a friend but also knows he would like to know this kind of information, so... As soon as Jezorn hears about everything that had happened there, um, he, I don't want to say is brought to like tears by it, but he looks like you cracked the man in a way that he's like very much so happy to call you an ally and very much so happy to call you a friend. And he thanks you by saying that you've saved the lives of hundreds of people, if not the city of Glorywake, by having freed up the down, you know, the, the forest in, in Thalvir for the scouts, as well as preparing the battle plans. And so basically he just kind of looks around the room and unclips his uh, his in, his cloak and rolls it up into a small bundle and he kind of shoves it towards you. And he just says the best gift that he can give at this point beyond his gratitude and thanks is this. And he says, it's been with him since the very beginning. And it's something that he found in his adventuring days, but he would like you to have it. And oh, did the, we give over those elven tapestries? Yeah, I imagine you guys would have okay. done. Yeah, but it's a cloak. Uh, it's a cloak of resistance, and once you take it on, it molds to your shape, Klika. But it itself is a dark, dark minty green, uh, to the point it almost looks like stony gray. But okay, and then Anton was trying to buy potions. Was it now cloak yeah. of resistance? Do you mean cloak of protection, or is that something oh, yeah, different? Yeah, yeah. The okay. cloak of protection. I was gonna say. It's a staple of your campaign is to have a cloak of protection somewhere within the first three levels, and we didn't get one, and I was scared. Well, if you killed Jezorn in the beginning, you would have had one a lot sooner. Click is up to 21 AC. Good luck hitting that with shield. 
Jesus Christ. 26, baby. Well, shit. Good thing you can still fail on saving throws. God, do I. Pika <laughs> now has more AC than the fighter. Well, not more HP, though. Wait a minute. Actually. Oh, God. Didn't yep. We, didn't we reach that point, too? Yeah. Pika has the most, I think. Turns out having eights in every stat, but con and dex will really. It's. Something I like to, and I've coined this, I came up with it on the spot right now, called min-maxing, where I've <laughs> minimized scores I don't think I'll need and maxed out the scores I will need. I hate you so much. <laughs> but anyway, as I make you like this, like literally the star of the campaign, no pun intended, and you're just like, so anyway, I said, fuck the character sheet. I'm just going to build it. But anyway... <laughs> Um, Anton, the going price for healing potions, there are like about six of them that are available at the local alchemist, though there is a bit of pressure for those to go to the military in this time of need. They, recognizing you, uh, still offer them to you. I'd say that they can go at the heightened price of 75 gold pieces a pop. Uh, yeah, Anton gave away all, all his platinum already. Never mind. Wait, why not? Because I don't have that much gold. Oh. Anton's a simple man. Never mind. <laughs> I mean, you could say that you flipped the platinums that you needed and bought the uh, potions and then gave the rest over. How, how, how much can two platinums get me? Um, well, two platinums is 20 gold, so not one. Oh. <laughs> if you wanted to buy two potions, that would be 15 platinums. Okay. That. Yeah. <laughs> now, how many orphans could one platinum feed for a year? Nothing well, by a piece of bread going for a copper piece, uh, and there's a hundred copper pieces in a gold piece. There's a thousand copper pieces in a platinum. So, I mean, that's 15,000 loaves of bread that Anton just gave over. <laughs> So like a, that's potion, a, it's just a regular potion of healing. It's not like a greater or any like that. Yeah, sorry. Just the regular. But, okay. Um, and so with that, the party head off in the morning. Go on. Yes. Okay. Well, when you guys are staying at the church and the inn, uh, the village is sort of brought to an awakened stance with people screaming as they enter the city. Uh, it seems as if a caravan of very, very tattered wanderers or travelers or townies or something come meandering in, each one looking wounded and having run or trod with horses or whatever um, for what appeared to be like two straight days. They all look haggard and beaten and they come rushing into the town, kind of just screaming for whatever help they can get. Immediately, townsfolk begin to awaken. Guards start to move over and, like, you know, try to try to corral them in. And uh, I'm going to say because you guys are at the tavern, the biggest tavern out here, um, the uh, party is well awakened by them running into the town. And as the people are kind of like freaking out and doing their thing, and the party come up to listen to it, it sounds like sort of the mutterings and screams of a gang of like mad people, as it seems like they're all just kind of looping out and start screaming. One of them yells out a bit louder than the rest and says, a man made purely of steel. He, he ripped the homes asunder. They took hundreds of slaves, all of Glent and Gaborah. All is lost, nothing to be seen, all of it 
torn asunder, destroyed. Dwarves with gray skin, humans and dwarves made of skin with steel piercing through blades and metal making their very being. But the one that walks made of steel pure. And they just keep kind of like freaking out and screaming to each other. They say that the, uh, yeah, I guess that's about that, that line right there. So what do you got? Um, do we see Pyther or Brother Emelier? Do we see the pea farmer? No. And you look around particularly for a stinky unemployed man who has yet to do much work. <laughs> so he's not a pea farmer. Son of a bitch. <laughs> Maybe he's the true deceiver. <laughs> you imagine. <laughs> All along, he's just like, <laughs> but with that, the people just start screaming out. They say that maybe people can be saved, but it sounds like people got shackled and pulled along in slave driving droves. And it seems like if people chose to fight back, they were slaughtered in ranks. Oh, and so with that, the party, knowing that Glint and Gabora are both like uh, Ryan, I guess, made pretty clear there. Um, these are places you guys are well familiar with, as well as home to much of your friends. Um, it's also on the way to the city. So the question I have is, how fast would you guys like to travel towards Glintane Gaborah? Or are we sleeping in? I'll buy a horse. <laughs> fast as possible on the road to Eagleheart. So what direction were they taking the slaves in? Did anyone see? It sounds like they brought them to the east. It sounds like those that were, um, if I got my map correct, those that were, yep, in Gabora were being headed towards Glint. So to okay. the towards the city of Eagleheart. Um, but with that, uh, having seen all this hubbub and all this freaking out and everything going on here, uh, Jezorn, who is awakened and doing all this, he looks over at you guys kind of scrambling to get your bearings and he immediately calls for horses to be brought out and brought forward for the party to take uh unless Kluka's is going to be riding on a pony or she can ride on the horse with somebody else yeah she'll probably ride with someone else fair enough uh oh. cooper's Ferd is in a different direction correct yeah that's way far north i think Kluka is going to look over at jezord and say um you should send out some people to let the smaller towns and villages know that they should maybe seek shelter in Eagle Heart or Glory Wake or one of the more fortified towns. It doesn't sound like it's going to be good out there. And so with that, he lets out a couple whistles and a few scouts come out of the, uh, the barns there, out of the um, stables and taking horses begin to ride north. But he's urging you guys to go on. This is like, it's like nine o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night when this is all happening. So the party can begin their trek in the dead of night and try to hurry out. Um, okay. Yeah. So with that, riding on horses, the party immediately begin their trek. Uh, would you guys like to push your horses and hope for the best that way? Offering healing while you can to kind of keep them afloat? Or did you guys want to try to take rests as normal? Garzak can cast fly on two of the horses, so they don't need healing. I think that might freak them out. It 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 is concentration, so I can only do it on one. Uh, uh, Norhill is going to suggest we press, 
And maybe we'll be able to find her leaf horses somewhere on the way. What exactly does the potion of hill giant strength do? It boosts your strength up to 21. Mm. <laughs> Give it to the horse. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Just, <laughs> Just boost. <laughs> but for how long? I Probably like an hour. Yeah. Anton doesn't want to kill his horse. But what did you name your horse, Anton? <laughs> Jezebel. Oh boy. Yeah, they, Anton, it's they very probably... clearly a male horse, too. <laughs> Anton, if you're yes. hesitant to push the horse, need I remind you that they've taken slaves? There could like, be children. I don't want to kill my mount, but I won't go any faster if it's dead. But you'll let the children die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So with that, the party pressing the horses, not to death, obviously, but with the sense of urgency that they have, press on without taking rest for nearly two whole days worth of travel, eating light as they can, though I don't know who would actually be eating. So I guess in this time, again, with the coming of spring, uh, what does this travel look like for two days of just barreling through watching the sunrise and set on the way to Glen? Anton's arthritis is hitting in really bad. Oh, okay. So, so is yeah, Norville's riding out front <laughs> almost as if he wants to go faster. Okay. While we're riding through the night, um, Klika will like kind of try and sleep during the day while she's riding, and then at night she'll like go from horse to horse to try and let other people rest while she guides the horse as best she can, you know. Mm-hmm. So sort of giving everybody a, at least some rest as we go along. And I think at night, she's always going to be sort of like looking up at the stars whenever they're out and looking for her star and just thinking about everything. I will say your eyes are very clearly drawn to the most bright and piercing white star in the night. And having put not so much stock into any of the stars in particular before hearing all this stuff, now that you look up at it and see it looking back at you, I think you found your star pretty quickly. So I think she's several times will remember back to being in the queen's chamber where the starlight would shine through anything and still reach the floor, but she was able to hold her star in her hand and she'll sort of try and cup the starlight that falls from that star hold it close to her heart when she feels moments of weakness or gets scared and doesn't know if she's going the right way or she's pushing the horse too hard. Fair enough. And so um, what about Jarzak? Uh, so when Klik is hopping around, Jarzak's just going to essentially just tell Klika he's all set. Uh, Cleeks, you should really stick with Anton for the nights. I, I don't, I don't know if he's gonna be able to handle riding in the darkness like we can. <laughs> Anton's just veering off the path, just in the front, shining daylight. <laughs> yeah. Go, Jezebel, go! <laughs> oh, but with arthritis. Uh, uh, and then, so much. <laughs> uh. uh Jarzak's gonna kind of when we stop to rest, like 
to, he's gonna remove the glove fully to kind of like see what his <laughs> hand what his hand actually looks like. He'll do it like behind like okay in, in cover. Just right, 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 right. Uh, guys, yeah, I gotta go take a leak. He's peeing for the first time in the entirety of the history of this game. Yeah, Tarzak <laughs> clearly had said that like five minutes ago and already gone to take a leak. <laughs> and then realized he wanted to check out the glove while he was doing it. <laughs> oh, forgot shit. and was like, ah, uh, uh, uh. Chugs oh. an entire water skin. Gotta go again. <laughs> Whoops. Gotta go before also, you get I back need on to the refill horse. this water skin. Yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be right back. <laughs> Just... Does does Anton actually use the lantern of daylight on the travels through the night? I think the daylight might be a bit much. <laughs> you do? I think. Well, I imagine like it's pretty blinding. And I don't I mean, think it daylight. lasts that long. It's just daylight. But it doesn't last daylight that long. Lasts does for it? It's hours. only like a. It does. I thought it. Yeah, it lasts for a long time. So I could understand if at like the deadest of night before the party has to stop for a little bit for you to do your thing. I can imagine using the daylight for that, but. If you don't think Anton would do it, I just picture Anton running in the front with the daylight lantern. Well, I don't know if he'd have it at daylight. I think he'd just have it at like normal light setting, like not day setting. <laughs> Ambient light setting. That dimmer switch. <laughs> the, the mood. Um, but okay. And so with that, the party trudge on uh, into the swamps of Urigig and Passover, entering on their way towards Glent. Um, Glint, if you guys remember, I mean, uh, sorry to Gabora, uh, Gabora being the place where you guys dealt with your friend there, the bandit squad. Um, and so if you guys remember the overall layout of this place, there is the river to cross on the way in. And, um, once you guys cross over the small bridge here where Jarzak had axed a couple of banditos before, and you guys rush up into the center area here where Pyther was at one point about to be hanged, you see that this whole place has been like decimated but in a way that looks like very particular like blows were dealt certain buildings have been utterly leveled and piles of rusted metal are left behind dust and blood cover the ground out here as well as many kind of like remnants of bodies but the bodies that are left behind are those of the weak and the meek and the elderly so it's like bodies that seem to be have no purpose to those who are repurposing bodies you know what i'm saying that or remnants of form you see also a few bodies of or at least pieces of what seem to be like Durgar or something like that out here like gray skinned like arms and legs and limbs that have somehow gotten i guess torn up by whatever had happened before but yeah this town is decimated the inn is leveled the church has been destroyed and that big estate where everything had taken place that you know that one big battle with the crossbow dude there everything over there has been leveled and destroyed as well and so it looks like some sort of horrific battle must have taken place here but surveying the battlefield norhill doesn't see any signs of like wagon marks he doesn't see anything of like weapons of you know siege weapons or anything like that yet the buildings look like they were destroyed you know what i mean like for something to have done that is just a strange, strange concept, you know? Is um, there any sign of any have... metal? Of what? Any metal? Um, the metal that's left behind looks rusted and destroyed, but it looks like once you start glancing around at the different buildings that have been leveled, it looks like all the different nails that would have held together some support beams have been plucked out. And when you see some of the dead bodies, 
you notice that many of them have certain pepper holes in them that look like perhaps high-speed shrapnel had been made through one side to the other. Oh, yeah. It's all coming together. <laughs> I have a weird... Uh, I think in order of priority, Clico wants to check out for like 10 minutes the church and then Pyther's shop and then the inn. Just like calling out for Brother Emily at the church and then at Pyther's shop, shouting out for Pyther and then at the end, shouting out for Mr. P. Farmer. Yeah, and, Nor and Norhill's going to bellow out for survivors in general. Okay. So I have a weird question. This is kind of outside of Anton's, like, known things, but he can do it. Okay. Would it be weird of me to do speak with Ted? Um, no, you can... Get a little info? Yeah, you can do that while everybody else left to go do their thingy-ding-dings. Um... I think he's just more worried of like who would makes like he's just like there's so many bodies that he's a little bit overwhelmed of like <laughs> he's a little bit shocked by it, but he needs the answer. He's like, Ugh. okay, um, and yeah, uh, you can do that. Uh, before we dive into that one though, I will say that Klika does rush off to go check the church, and again, the place just looks like it had been reduced to rubble. Um, digging around through the rocks and the broken glass and the wood out here, you can't seem to find anything underneath it. Pyther's alchemist shop seems to be actually kind of intact, but easily going inside this place, he's nowhere to be seen. And screaming and yelling for him leads to no help or anything like that. Um, and then going to the inn, looking around all the rubble in there, you do find the pea farmer, but it seems like he himself actually was killed at some point during the battle. Uh, Clicker will get his body out of the rubble, I guess, and oh, no. sort of He's the one that's gonna be speak with Dan. <laughs> bring it back to all the others. Oh no, he's gonna be so thirsty for more beer. Uh, what? I imagine Jarzak would go with Clicker to these places, and uh, he'll take a minute in the alchemist shop to see if there's any potions worth taking. Okay. And once you look through here and start to like actually scavenge around the alchemist stuff, it looks like all of the potions have either been like destroyed or taken. So it could just be a bunch of like vials of water, maybe somebody in a struggle or a fight or something like that had splashed them. But it looks like the people who came in here knew to grab what they grabbed. Okay. Or potentially Pyther may have actually skipped town after you guys left. And this might've been what was left. It's hard to really tell. But, okay. So, uh, Anton of Glorywake, uh, question for you. Who are you using this spell on? Are we using it on the pea farmer? I'm just trying to think if, like, I don't know if he could, because other than that, he doesn't really notice anyone he can identify, you know? Like, I don't know <laughs> if it Speak with that is a very personal just... spell. It is, it is. No, like, mm. like when there's this many bodies, it's like, oh my god, how do you, where do you even start? Uh, where you been? What's what's new? How's a girl to choose? So many yeah, suitors. <laughs> um, I guess if there's any, I don't know if it'd be weird to do the pea farmer, but like, is there anyone who maybe has like a sense of like being a soldier or a fighter or someone who clearly no. And if anything, it looks like the only things left behind here 
are either remnants, if I could put that very lightly, um, or those who are not able-bodied. It looks like we're bringing back the pea farmer, guys. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay, and so with that... my favorite. So with that, how does that spell actually look when you cast it? It requires burning incense, but I guess my question is, what does it look like when Anton summons a spirit to answer some questions? I'm just confirming this corpse still has a mouth, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> oh, that's so Jesus. That's what it said. It literally says like the I know, I know, but just it's so specific. Like just, just confirming. So before, well, now that you Anton, asked it. So Anton's just gonna look at the group and he's like, I've never done this before. We have around a handful of minutes. We can ask up to five questions, so we have to make sure. All right, so let's hear Crazy. So, so are there any questions you want to walk through before I do this? What happened when and why? That's that's three of the questions right there. Who? A four. And maybe how. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I wonder if that's how they generated that spell in the first place. They just had the five questions. Yeah, okay. <laughs> But all right, and so uh, so what does it look like to cast it? Do you just use your holy symbol over his body in a restful pose, and you just kind of like beckon him to come back with the light? Yeah, it's, a, it's almost going to be like a... I feel like it's going to be like a... I'm sad as it sounds, it's going to be like a doughy smelling incense. It's going to smell like kind of like fresh, like rising bread, except it's rising dead. <laughs> Why you got to bring the bread to a pea farmer? <laughs> Some of that, the smell of fresh baked bread. Uh, okay, and with that, the pea farmer's body seems to shudder a couple steps as it kind of like wiggles about a little bit on the ground for a second. And before you is a glowing form that seems formless, almost as if like a gaseous form seems to be like before you guys, escaping his mouth with like a breath, almost as if with like the cold morning air. Um, and so it just kind of floats there over his body again, as if like fog or steam. So have at it. Does it seem like the illuminator has taken him in his warm, ever loving grace? Is that a question? No, just <laughs> looking at him. Does he look illuminati? Uh, he looks dirty uh, and dead. Uh, that checks out. Which is half of what he looked like before. Yeah. Uh, First, I'm going to ask is what happened. And so the form just kind of echoes around you guys and it says, Bloodshed, so much fighting, and the steel, it sang to us, the metal. Don't forget to really hit those peas, those pumbles or whatever they're called. Don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'll when? get the next one. When did this happen? In the dead of night, perhaps. <laughs> Go spit on Jarzak. He says, I'm so thirsty. Perhaps you have a tankard of ale. <laughs> All right, question three. What did the singing, what did the steel sound like? It sounded harm. There was harmony 
what it's saying to kill us. There was an orchestra driven and motivated. Say so it was orcs. <laughs> oh, that, it was, who was this? Who or who did this? <laughs> don't don't be that specific. Oh, they orchestrated. Jarzak perks up. Orc? <laughs> what? I'm glad you picked up where I got that from. Fucking thank you. <laughs> All right. So, question number four. Did you see a humanoid of steel? I did. Did it say anything? It killed silently. And with that, the spirit dissipates with the morning's rise of the sun. And you guys are left with the unfortunate understanding that perhaps you need to go even farther on your trek and make it all the way out to Glint. And hopefully, hopefully, that's where you can find where this trail left off. So would the party keep up the same kind of pace, hoping to maybe catch this group? Yeah, I'm just going to bust the body after I do that, because that just feels real weird. Yeah, not not a single living soul. Um, how many dead do we have on our hands? Probably about 50. All right, so uh, disincluding the Drugar. 50. I didn't think you would count them. Yeah. yeah. Um, how so big of a town was... Norhill would like to just use some of like the rubble and stuff lying around to erect some simple cairns for them. Okay. And that's easy enough. Again, in the time that it takes to bless the pea farmer's body there and kind of get the last rites on it cover it with sheets in the rubble or whatever. The Cairn stones are easy to assemble with the cobblestone and whatnot that's been hefted from some of the houses. How many people were in Gaborah? Uh, probably a bit over a thousand if we're like shooting for children and the elderly and stuff as well. Okay. But this is bodies out in the square. You guys didn't survey all the, like, the little cottages outside or anything. <laughs> but okay. And so with that, is the party going to try to head out with the same kind of speed as before? Yeah. Okay. So um, hmm. Norhill is actually perhaps going to recommend a little bit more caution in case they're still there. Wait a minute. Glunt's or that dead hill giant was, right? Yeah, they got that big old pit. They'll be fine. Don't worry. <laughs> they buried him in a pit. <laughs> Okay, so how long has that thing been dead though? A long time. It's been like a month and a half, two months. Oh, that's kind of stink. And there's a lot of metal for the Herald of Steel. I've changed my mind. But let's hurry on. Same uh, same pace. Okay, and so with that the party trudge on again another two day track following the road that you guys had followed about four times now, having gone out this way either to see the queen to catch the Hydra, to see the wizard, to see the Pyther. It seems like this road kind of reminds you guys of how far you've traveled, yet how little distance you've actually gone. And as you guys travel your distance out to Glen, you arrive at the last darkness of the night and sort of the rising sun of morning. And even before you guys get to the outer district of, of Glent, being a small, small town, tiny little, it's like a kind of a decently sized village, but you guys can already hear in the distance the sound of screeching metal, like echoing in the distance, and you hear the sound of metal bending and screeching on itself 
as well as the sounds of some screams of agony um, from a few individuals, but it seems to echo and ring out through the night as you guys are on the outskirts of the village. So what's the plan? What will you do? Get ready for battle, I guess. That, that, yeah. We, I'm not sure we have enough to fight. Perhaps an evacuation uh, will be the soundest course of action. Is there anyone left to evacuate? You guys are going to have to go in there and check it out to see. There should be, if this is the same group that attacked Gabora, a lot of slaves walking with them, there should be a large amount of people somewhere who are being held too. If we can free them, then, well, we we have to free them, I think. Okay. So is the party going to just trudge on into Glent and hope to see what they can see? I think that might be our best option. Unless there's like a hilltop or something where we can look down over the town. We have a better option. And I look for Darzak and I'm like, you can fly. And we have an invisibility spell with us. It might be useful to get some insight of what's going on. (laughs) Darzak downs the potion and just takes off. (laughs) <laughs> All right, so a flying invisible Jarzak uh, goes hurtling in the skies above, and you look down over the small town, the village of Glunt, and you can see that there is, in fact, something shining with morning sun gleaming off of its bright and shiny, perfect steel, out, I guess, skin. And it seems to be just, like, lobbing hunks of metal at buildings, and they seem to be crashing in through windows and stuff and just, like, toppling buildings you see individual people kind of scattering around and running around but it seems like these people are being like you know mice in a corner being kind of plucked at by a cat how far away is it from me you i imagine are flying quite high above probably about a few hundred feet above the above the village okay uh i'd like to get within 120 feet of him but up in the air (laughs) still no all right and so this with that, you just come down. And I'm going to lob an Eldritch Blast at him. Okay. Go ahead and roll. A nat 20. Okay. Uh, so- assume that hits, yeah. Yeah, how much damage did you do? I did... Garbage. Thanks. Uh, Four damage. And so, oh, wow. A 2d10. <laughs> Oof. And Plus so one. That, <laughs> and so with that, the whole party can see a couple of Eldritch Blasts, like, near perfectly over Glint, just go... And yeah, just and space so bombs. <laughs> I'm, uh, well, I'm going to launch it and then immediately fly as fast as I can back towards the group. Yeah, especially because that breaks your invisibility. Also, you're yes. coming right towards us. Oh, no. He's like, you- guys, I messed up! <laughs> You get another. You get another beam before your attack's done. Don't forget, so you can roll again. Yeah, go ahead, roll again. Is this one going to be at advantage too? Is oh, the creature yeah. surprised? Oh, he's surprised, all right. Uh, no. Soft twenty. 
Uh, okay, this one did more damage with a non-crit, eight damage. Okay. And so with that, you lob both of those and quickly jet out of there, flying as you do towards the rest of the group on the road on horseyback. And as this happens and you come flying back over to here, you can hear the sounds of the screaming go from being like horrified and terrified to utter silence as you hear the collapsing of a couple of buildings in the distance. And you guys sense a weird tremor, similar to what happened at the Gully Gulp Impromptu Mass Tomb, where the ground begins to kind of shift around beneath your feet. And much like the boulette, uh, you guys see a rippling in the cobblestone and earth down the road. And it seems to be sundering towards you guys at a speed that is very alarming. And as Jarzak comes plummeting down to the ground to come land and tell you what's up, almost at the exact same speed, the thing at about 120 feet from you guys pours out of the ground as if like a reverse video of something melting as steel takes a certain weird form and standing again, like 120 feet away from the party at the end of the road, right at the entrance to Glint, a being of pure shining metal stands there looking back at you all in a skeletal form with a couple of devil looking horns on its forehead. And it just stands there. No skin, just iron, steel, cold bones. The and, Terminator. And it looks, yeah, that's just it. It's the Terminator. And it looks back towards all of you. And in a voice that sounds like the, like a blade being unsheathed from a scabbard, you hear the voice echo out in a way that chills everybody to their core, makes the armor on everybody's back rattle, makes the armor of your weapons seem to like chill. All of a sudden the voice beckons out and says, do you serve masters? And that is where we're gonna end it. Hey everybody, it's the young Grognard here. I want to say thank you for listening to another episode of the podcast. If you have anything you'd like to tell me, any questions or concerns, shoot me a tweet over at YGrognard on Twitter, or send me an email at younggrognard at gmail.com. As always, keep it real, and more importantly, keep it dungeonous. Thanks.